0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here in person, in watch groups, as well as gathering with us online. Another fun week in our country. It's good to gather together and uh, be here and center on the word in a time period where we're faced with constant uncertainty all around us. We have the certainty of scripture that we can trust on and lean into. Thanks for joining us. If you're with us for the first time, wherever you are gathered here or online, we are in our Pioneer series. We're walking through the book of Acts and what an incredible book It is, and I pray, that it's really inspiring you as we witness these acts of faith that are being done by the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what a pioneer is. A pioneer is someone who is willing to do whatever, whenever, and however, at least that's our working definition. Obviously a pioneer is someone who's going into the unknown, doing something for the first time, and all of us are being asked to navigate a world that we have not really gone through before, Uh, really throughout this entire year almost now, it seems. And uh, and it doesn't look like that's going to change as we move forward and not knowing what is necessarily going to happen. So how do we live? How do we live? What can we control? What are the things that we can do? And what will our response be? And we want to be pioneers, willing to do whatever Jesus calls us to do, whenever Jesus calls us to do it and however Jesus calls us to do it. So each week, we've really been focusing a lot on the different apostles, Jesus' guys, if you will. He called Peter, the influential leader, James, the passionate one, John, the man of conviction, Andrew, the servant leader, Philip, the detail guy, Bartholomew, the scholar, Matthew, the recovering rebel, and Thomas, the faithful follower. We also, James, son of Alphaeus, who... It's kind of obscure. We don't know much about him. Thaddeus, the energy guy. Simon, the zealot, the activist, the political activist. Matthias, the replacement to Judas. And we've marked out, isn't it neat how Jesus surrounds himself with all sorts of different personalities? That, we're not like that naturally. We like to surround ourselves with people who only agree with us. Right? And, and that's often what's called, I'm going to give you a little organizational term, uh, an echo chamber. It's why people say things like, well, everybody's saying this. And it's clear that not everybody's saying this. Well, everybody knows. Well, it's clear that not everybody knows that. What happens is we surround ourselves in echo chambers with people who only see the world like us. In fact, it's actually quite healthy to get outside of those echo chambers. For church leadership can't operate in one echo chamber. This is the way it's supposed to be viewed. For there's multiple views within the body of Christ. But when we're surrounding ourselves with people who have varying different approaches to life, it actually sharpens us and refines us. One of the things I find out so neat, I find this so neat about Jesus, is he surrounded himself with all sorts of personalities. There's some of you who would never want to be around the passionate guy. He's a little too much for me. The man of conviction, come on, man, get some grace in your life, right? Or, Or maybe the political one. I've had enough of that, okay? Or maybe, I'm not a rebel. Stop with your old rebel talk, okay? Jesus brought all these personalities in do you see yourself in any of them and and he is there and working in these guys and growing these guys as they venture into their calling the great commission to go and share the good news that jesus christ not only is dead but he's risen and they are to proclaim that and share the good news of jesus christ their savior Well, each week, we've picked a couple of these pioneers and we've leveraged their stories, whether it be the gospel or whether it be an acts. And today, once again, we'll probably hammer a lot on Peter, go back still, Peter and John, okay? We're gonna look at their writings and we're gonna see how they navigate. But today's pioneer, we're all excited about, I guess, in the back. Today's pioneer is a man, you, you got it by just looking at the picture? okay? Uh, I don't know if you do, but he's a man who grew up in England. So each week, I wanted to bring you a pioneer, somebody who's brought a lot of change to our society um, and and done a lot of good, that was willing to do whatever, whenever, however. Well, this man grew up in Bedfordshire, excuse me, England, and uh, he was the son of a tinker. Now, you say, what's a tinker, right? Well, a tinker back then would be somebody, let's call him a jack of all trades, or able to do a lot of different things. They could make things, build things, design things, toys, things like that. You've heard of tinker toys that, that kind of stemmed from this this past. But they were just able to make a lot of different things and be very just intuitive with their hands and working with it. And make it, He grew up under the sun. He was the son of a tinker. Now, as he grew older, he came to meet a girl who he got married to who was just really into books, as was he. She shared a few books of him on her faith and just mesmerized by them, came to know Jesus Christ as her personal savior. It's kind of interesting to see how many ladies at many times have introduced their husbands to the things of the Lord or have brought them to a church because of the things of the Lord. And, and she was used mightily in this man's life. He came to know Christ when so enthralled by it. He went into preaching actually became part of the congregational church in the 1600s and began preaching the message of Jesus Christ well being in England laws came out that you couldn't go if you weren't conforming to the church of England there was actually punishment for it so he's actually this man was actually thrown into prison for preaching what he was preaching and being a part of churches that were called not to meet because they were gathering under a, a, a terminology that the England church was not wanting. Well, all he had to do to be released from jail was to say he wouldn't preach anymore. But he refused to do it. Being in, being in prison, um, he made shoelaces to support his family. Growing up as a tinker, he was very, very ingenious with his hands. But he also did something else. And this is where you're probably gonna know who this is. He wrote a book anybody got it? He wrote a book that got really popular. In fact, it's called the second most popular book to the Bible in Christian circles. The name of the book is Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, this is John Bunyan. Some of you are like, Ah, oh, John Bunyan, didn't he have a blue cat? No, 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 no. No, no, no. That was Paul Bunyan, Okay. This is John Bunyan, and John Bunyan wrote the amazing tale of Pilgrim's Progress, which is really an incredible allegory of his testimony and his life in coming to Christ. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death. This pilgrim goes on this journey, has a backpack, which is the symbolic of the weight of sin on him, and as he runs up Salvation Hill at the end, I don't want to ruin the story, that pack starts coming off of him. He goes through temptations in life and various struggles. But Pilgrim's Progress is one of the most epic writings of all time, and it's been able to be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, all penned while in prison. Well, after 12 years, he was released. He began to preach again, Um, and now even there is a stained glass in the Westminster Abbey in London of John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. In fact, I think I showed you just a little bit of a clip. In 2019, they put out an animated film on this. So um, I don't know, parents. I haven't fully seen the whole thing, but if it's true to the story, which obviously everybody gets to, to have some writer's creativity, but if it's true to the story, it's probably a great watch and, um, and worth it because what a story that John Bunyan put on paper. Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have ever read it in the house? Anybody? Like, if you were in fourth grade, you might have been forced to, and just the weight of the book scared you. That was the way I was, like, oh my word, there's so many words on one page, right? Um, but um, it, it's worth it, if that. Some of you say, I'll wait till the movie comes out. Well, there's an animated film, maybe you can check that out. I thought it was interesting to talk about the life of John Bunyan, because he was thrown into prison for preaching. I know somebody else who was thrown into prison from preaching. In fact, John recorded his savior being thrown in. In fact, that's where we're gonna go today in the beginning. We're gonna leverage a story in John to go to Acts. See, John wants to tell you of a time where Jesus himself was imprisoned. Yeah, Jesus thrown into jail and met before the high priests and the Jewish leaders. And much like John Bunyan was, was actually persecuted by the church in England, uh, Jesus is actually being persecuted by the religious leaders that were following the law that obviously he had a lot to do with. John 18, 33 through 40 tells the story. It's an interesting account. Do you remember how Jesus acted while he was brought into court? It's awesome to actually process this. It serves as an incredible background to where we're gonna go in Acts today. I want you to feel this moment as Jesus is brought in. He's been betrayed by Judas, okay? He's brought in, all his disciples are leaving him. They're all just running and hiding, okay? And Jesus is staying there by himself and this is the account before Pilate. He had gone before the Jewish leaders and then brought before Pilate and this is where they pick up the scriptures. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? How am I supposed to know? Pilate continues, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus, going back to that are you a king statement, returns to it and says, listen, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. If I was here to set up some sort of political kingdom, I'd be fighting for it right now. It's not why I'm here. It continues. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. He continues, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. (laughs) You know, we talked about this last week. There's two dates that are very, very important in your life the date you were born and the date you found out why you were born. Why am I here? Jesus knew why he was here. He said, this is my purpose. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I want you to remember that throughout this entire sermon. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I speak truth. I am the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, and I'm gonna add the sarcastic tone because that seems to be the context. What is truth? Hmm, what's going on here? After he said this, Pilate went back outside and he came to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in this man, but you have this custom that I should release one of you, or excuse me, I should release one man for you at the Passover. So he continues and says this, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And John writes, now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Kids, that means he was whipped. His back was ripped open. In fact, many believe when he went to the cross, you might have even be able to see the spinal bone that rubbed up and down where he had to breathe. He had a robe thrown on him, a purple robe, and then they slammed on his head a crown of thorns that would have caused massive bleeding in his head, let alone the pain. They slapped him in the face. They made fun of him. They called him the king of the Jews. Jesus had thousands of angels that at one time he could just call and say, you know what, I'm done with this. But he took it. He was beaten, brought out in front of the Jews. And the story continues later in chapter 19. They're chanting crucify and Pilate says to them, a Roman, take him yourself and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. Pilate didn't want this on him. The Jews answered, we have a law and according to the law he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Scripture says when Pilate heard this statement he was even more afraid and he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus didn't answer him. Where are you from? Just stood there. Your savior just stood there. This bothered Pilate. How dare he not answer him? Does he understand who Pilate is? Pilate is a leader. a leader. He's a government official. Jesus isn't saying anything. He says, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus speaks For you would have no authority over me at all unless it were given from above. Jesus speaks a theology into your faith that can help you navigate any authority in life. You have no authority over me at all unless it's been given from above. No matter what. And I think that's so important, especially in times that we live in, When we feel like we're getting rules, mandates, and laws, sometimes changing throughout the week. And being born in a country where we've been taught freedom, it's very natural for us, and actually more intuitive for us, to not want to be told what to do. And here's Jesus, the sovereign. King of the universe standing before an itty bitty human who thinks he has authority over him going, do you understand what I could do to you? And Jesus says, you couldn't do nothing to me had I not given you the authority you actually have. Jesus, why do you give him an authority? Pilate from Rome, he's trying to persecute the Jews. He's terrible. All authority comes from me. And I think it's so important for us to have a theology of authority as we walk into our unknown And chapter five, it really deals with that. So I'm calling this section, All Authority. And I want us to just kind of hop into some education real quick in case you don't review these verses so that you have some grasp on authority, okay? And how you're to approach authority. Now, I understand you're gonna take this and put it into your current consequences. And I'm like, thanks, Lord, for this sermon this week, right after the week we've done, okay? But we've gotta tackle this. This is part of the scriptures. We're gonna enter into this. Where does authority come from? Well, Jesus says it's established by God, John 19, 11. You have no authority unless it's given from above. It's governed by God. Daniel four seventeen says, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it even the basest of men. This is what that word basis means. It means this, even the lowliest, even like the worst leaders, okay, are governed by God and put in by God or taken out by God. Pharaoh, I mean, all these leaders, God's saying, scripture's saying, I am the one who allows this. I can change it, I can establish it, I'm in the one who's in control, and I can even replace it. Daniel 2.21, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. In case you ever think mankind's in control, the scripture, which is truth, says that's not true. That God has an overriding purpose. And although many of those kings do not necessarily do his will, they are all part of his plan. Never confuse the two. For even Israel demanded a king and it wasn't what was best for them, but they were given what they asked for. And it was even appointed Saul By God. So when we understand some of this root knowledge of Scripture, we can dig in even further. In fact, Peter himself, Peter, the one who liked to um, defy authority and cut people's ears off and stuff, okay? He writes in his book, Here's how you are to act with authority. He says this You should be subject or submit to your authority for the Lord's sake, for whose sake, for their sake, cause they're awesome, nope, for the Lord's sake, now listen, high schooler, you got a teacher over you, you think they're a complete idiot, I, am I allowed to say that in church, you can't stand, you think they're out to get you. They, th- you, they only go to you when there's a problem, they leave all the other students alone, they don't do nothing for the girls but they're always after us guys, however you feel. Maybe you're at work and you go, oh man, my boss, unruly, unfair. Maybe, maybe it's um, another avenue of your life. Maybe you're struggling with authority somewhere else, okay? Wherever you have authority in your life and you're tempted to go, I can't stand it, you need to let scripture inform you in those areas, okay? Whether you want to hear it or not, we need to inform ourselves on what scripture says about authority. So here's the, Peter tells you, um, you should be subject to authority for the Lord's sake. Be subject to the Lord's, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by who? Sent by God. For your testimony's sake, for this is the will of God, that you, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When you do this, your testimony is built and even the most foolish people acknowledge that you're submitting to the authority before you. For your mission's sake, 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's like, I'm free to do whatever I want. Don't use it as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is what Peter says. He said, there's some clear things I want you to... He said, yeah, yeah. well, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand the authority of my life. Do you understand who Peter was under when he wrote that? Nero. Nero was crucifying Christians upside down I don't think that's happening today some of you are like yet okay (laughs) hold on but the best predictor of future events is past behavior and Peter going through Nero says hey submit to your governing authorities well I don't really like what Peter has to say okay let's go Paul Paul educated more than any of us. Paul was one of the most educated humans in the history of the world and had a few opinions and was tough as absolute nails. So if you're like, I don't like being told what to do, welcome to Paul, okay? Saul turned to Paul. He writes this about governing authorities. He says, when you honor authority, we honor God's establishment, Romans 13, 1 says, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Paul says this, when we resist authority, we oppose God's ordinance. Romans 13, 2, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Paul also says two more things. When we obey authority, we avoid being fearful. Romans 13, three through four, for rulers are not a terror to good good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise for the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. I mean, we know this. When we're sneaking around, kids, you know this, if you're disobeying what you're supposed to be doing, you have some element of fear of being caught, even if you've justified your behavior. If you're at work and you know you're being deceitful, there's still just this element of being afraid of being caught. And so you feel fear. When you obey the authority, you don't have to worry about that. But the rule's stupid. That's not the point. For when we submit to authority, we avoid the guilt of defiance. There is a guilt of defiance. The Holy Spirit often brings a guilt with defiance. Romans 13, 5, therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You want to have a clean conscience before God. These are verses that should inform our decisions on how we approach authority, including, and many preachers don't preach on this because they feel it's self-serving, but including your spiritual authorities that God's put in front of you over the church. When you submit to them, God sees that and honors that. And so these scriptures should inform us. And I think that's even more important to be informed because we live in a time period where people are telling and and demanding that their echo chamber, if you will, be heard. Well, I know that there's a pastor who says this, and I heard there's a church who's doing this. Listen, I can find you a pastor in a pulpit for anything you wanna believe. I can drive you across the United States and find you a pastor. If you want to hear this is okay to do, if you want to hear this sin's not really a thing, if you want to ask, you don't have to read those passages in Timothy. You can exclude that passage. If you want it, I can find you a pastor, okay? I can go on Facebook and find you a pastor for any echo chamber I want to give you. What you have to be able to do is say, how can I take scripture and apply it to my life? And I think that's very important, especially in a time period where even people are telling churches to defy and things like that. You got to be very careful in seasons like that. Do you really want your church doing things like that without a thoughtful process? And hey, every situation right now in our country is very different. What's happening in one state isn't necessarily happening in another state. And so it's a very difficult time period. And I say, no judgment during Corona. But you have to remember You don't want your pastor defying. You want your pastor ignoring zoning laws. Hey, we serve God. We'll build buildings wherever we want to on our property. Do you want them defying taxes? I don't pay taxes. I answer to God, not to man. Do we really want that? And we have to think through these things and investigate scripture and then build out our reasonings. Why do we submit when we submit to the Lord? Man, this helped me so much because one time I had a boss and as a college kid, I'm gonna, uh, college kids stay with me. If I'm you, all right, you need extra grace because I need it at your age too. I was always right. Do you know any of those kids? I mean, I was never wrong. I wish I could preach back when I was 20 because that's when I was never wrong and I knew it all. Now I'm, I'm always wrong and barely know it all, it feels like, okay? As you get older, guys, you'll, you'll, you'll chill out a little bit. So moms, calm down, all right? Don't worry, they'll come around a little bit, a little bit. But I was, anybody would tell you, especially those who changed my diapers in this church and helped me raise, I was a punk. And um, I'm the type of personality, if you tell me to do something, I'm not gonna do it just to have fun. That's how I was. was. Guys, you resonating with me at all? Any of you guys? Like, oh yeah, I can't do it? All right, I'm gonna do it. Just to say I did. Oh, you're such a punk. And I would get that. In fact, I was called that a lot. In fact, my rebellious spirit got me places. It got me in positions of authority with my friends. Everybody likes a jerk, I think. Very popular, right? I mean, come on, kids out there, is it cool to be nice? No, it's cool to be mean. It's cool to be nasty. It's cool to jump online and just trash people. That's what's cool. It's not cool to be kind. That's what weirdos do. It wasn't until I grew in the faith that I realized, you know what actually the coolest life is? Do you know what the toughest life is? Not pride and arrogance and cruelty. Humility. Meekness. Kindness. Anybody can do mean. Let me see you do kind. Anybody can do pride. Let me see you do meekness. Especially when you don't like the authority above you. That tests you on a level you can't even imagine And that was my problem I had a boss and I couldn't stand him One time I thought I gave him a great idea I said this is why we need to be doing this And he said Chris we don't pay you to think Get back to work mm. I needed that don't worry I needed that My attitude wasn't where it should have been So what I'm to tell you In case you're like oh Chris is just a lay down And get stepped on guy I was never And I'm still not but I also understand my biblical responsibility as well and how I view the scripture, so I humbly present. When you are asked to submit to an authority that you don't respect, you don't like, teenagers, I'm talking to you, college students, you're gonna run into professors, I'm gonna tell you, parents, you tell them, you're gonna run into them. (laughs) You're gonna take jobs at times. When you're under an authority that you truly feel is being unfair to you, your faith can grow to another level you can't even imagine. Here's the scripture that helped me, and this is what really, really focused me, that God sees it and God knows it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly under poor leadership, God sees that. I remember telling telling one of my mentors, I can't, I can't work for this guy. And and, and he said to me, Chris, if you can submit under that authority, you're submitting not to that authority. You're submitting to God. I am. Yeah. He puts all authority in place. Even the bad ones all have to run through him. He's sovereign, which means he's in control of all things. And he's going to use this in your life. He's going to refine you and sharpen you. Your pride's going to get tested. Your willingness to submit to God and not that leader is going to be tested. And this is your opportunity to grow. That's been a lifelong battle for me. And I think it's true for many of you too, because you've been told your whole life, don't let anybody tell you what to do. And the same parents who are telling their kids to respect authority, if you don't model it, you ain't gonna raise it. And we need to understand these things and where scripture's at so we can work through this, especially in a crazy year like 2020. Again, I'm like, Lord, thank you for this message this week. Submitting to authority. Well, that's the backdrop. All authority's been given by God. When I submit to it, I submit to him, not because the authority deserves it necessarily. When I suffer unjustly under it, God sees that and will honor it. But is there ever a time? Is there ever a time to say, no? There does seem to be an exception clause. And it's in our story in Acts. Peter is at the temple. You recalled last week, Peter and John healed a lame man. Remember this? They said, Rise up and walk. Two miracles occurred that day. I had a brother in Christ tell me the first one that he rose up, the second one that he knew how to walk without being taught. Rise up and walk. This lame man's walking. He's been there for 40 years. Everybody in the town goes, what on earth is going on? A, cor- a, cor- a huge crowd forms down at Solomon's Portico, which if you're looking at our picture, if you're listening on podcast, I'm pointing to the front end of Solomon's, te- or excuse me, Herod's temple. Solomon's Portico would have been right down here. There's a huge crowd that gathers down there and Peter's down there and he's preaching to them. And he recalls the story that John told us about. With Jesus. He said, You asked for a murderer and you killed the author of life. You called for Barabbas and killed Jesus. You got what you wanted and you're getting what you deserve. You called for it, here it is. And now the author of life is dead, but he rose again the third day. He's Jesus, your Messiah. And and Peter is just preaching Jesus. And here this lame man's suffering, did we always say God can take what's meant for evil and use it for good? This lame man's suffering has propelled Peter into an opportunity to preach to thousands of people at the portico who cannot believe he got saved. And Peter uses it as an opportunity to say, you asked for a murderer. Pilate was about to release him. And you said, give us Barabbas? repent turn from your ways and he's preaching Jesus Christ and they heard it who's they the Sadducees Pharisees they heard this going on in the portico and they came out and listened to and here's where we pick up our story in Acts and as they were speaking to the people the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them what's going on greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Two problems. One, they were teaching, Peter, you're just a fisherman. John, you have no business teaching. We teach. We are the teachers of these people. Second, you're preaching Jesus Christ as as risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. They are not allowing this. This cannot be proclaimed. And they arrested them. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But I want you to understand something. Whenever the church faces pressure, God expands it. And look what the verse says next. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about five Thousand, excuse me, the number of men. So maybe that's even to indicate that the family units came to know the Lord. So 5,000 might even be able to be multiplied. Whenever the church, even the early church, even in its opening weeks, the church, when it faces pressure, expands in reach. It's unbelievable. It's kind of like the gates of hell can't even stand against it. It expands. God's using this, even this difficulty that many would say, how could this be happening to the early church? It's expanding. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. They gathered together. Anybody wanna go to seminary for a second? Let's jump back to this temple here real quick, okay? Where were they gathering? See, I'm a visual learner, so I want a picture. They're down here in the portico, okay? And and I'm pointing to the outer gate. Peter's preaching down there. They grab him. They throw him into jail, which was probably this military fortress up here in the corner. Okay, they bring him the next day into this chamber over here on this side of the temple. You can see the chambers on this side of the picture. This is an image um, provided. um, But this right here is the image of the chamber of hewn stone. Okay, now what went on in the hewn stone? Now, I'm going to take you to the geek text of all pastors it's called logos okay so in logos there's a picture of what this chamber would look like okay inside this chamber is the sanhedrin the high priest sitting up on the on the throne the accused are brought into the room and even their students seating so they can see how this all goes down there's 71 of them and this is basically the supreme court if you will and peter and john a couple of fishermen are brought before them and stood in the middle to give their testimony of what is going on. So get your image there and let's pick up the story. And then they heard, set them in the midst, and they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Come on, Peter, just go somewhere else with this, all right? Just get out of this. I mean, this is, I mean, they're, they're, they're accusing you. You're standing here. You're in trouble here. Let's, let's kind of let's get out of this. But then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I want you to remember this. Any of you, do you like to borrow trouble from the future? Does the news get to you when they say this is what's going to happen? Like they knew Corona was coming. Oh, I know what's going to happen in five years. With this, I know what's going to happen. Do you borrow trouble from the future? Are you a doomsdayer? here's what Jesus told his disciples when he said, you are going to be go in front of the courts. You're gonna, it's gonna happen, okay? But don't you worry what you'll do. Don't borrow trouble from the future. Don't you worry. I'm gonna hook you up in that moment. And isn't this a beautiful playing out of that? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, God's gonna give him the words, and he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you, all 71 of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, (gasps) no, you didn't. Oh, yes, he did. And the Sanhedrin? Yeah, with them all around you? Yes, whom you crucified? No, you did it. Yes, he did. This is Peter. Jumps out of boats. He points out Sanhedrins. Whom God raised from the dead? By him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. How he's preaching the Old Testament, these saying, you're like, "What is Fisherman? Is great communicator." He says, "And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved." Amen, church. I love that verse. There ain't no other name. There's salvation in no one else. Well, there's a multitude of no. Scripture says in no one else. Well, you mean there are different in no one else. Jesus. Salvation in no other name. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, aren't these guys, like, basically losers? Yes, they're not educated like us. When they perceived that, they were astonished. And I love this line. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, I want that said about me. Man, I was hanging out with Chris the other day. Or I was listening to Chris preach. Or I was listening to him share something. Or I was talking to him. And man, I could tell he's been with Jesus. Whoa. Dad, let that be a challenge for you, huh? Well, you know, I saw Dad this morning. And he came back after dinner and sat down and talked to us. And I could tell he'd been with Jesus based on way he was this morning. Are you with Jesus? Are you spending time with Jesus? I could tell mom's with Jesus a lot. I could tell grandma was with Jesus a lot. He shines through. But the St. Andrew, seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition, but they commanded them to leave the council and they conferred with one another saying, what are we going to do with these guys? We've got this healed guy. He's walking around. It's clearly he's okay now. And Peter and John are out there going. It's happening in the name of Jesus. This is a threat to us. This is terrible. For that notable sign has been performed through them. Is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that we may spread it no further among the people, let us warn them to speak to more. To speak no more to anyone in his name. We have to shut this down. <laughs> So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help but do it. We've got to do it. If it's wrong chain us up. But we have to speak the truth. We can't tell lies. We can't skirt around the truth. We have come to do the will of Jesus. And what did Jesus say I came to do? To testify to the truth. To speak where there's lies and give it truth. Child of God, our call is the same. We can't help but speak the truth. We need to testify to the truth. That's the one time where we go, I'm sorry, I serve a higher authority and I answer to Him. And if you tell me I can't preach Jesus, I gotta preach Jesus. Whether I do it in a building or online, whether I do it in my backyard or I do it in my car, whatever way, I gotta preach Jesus. I can adapt. And Jesus always gives me the ability to adapt. It's phenomenal how he works. But I gotta preach the truth. I pray that's true in your home. We stand for the truth. But the Bible doesn't really. The Bible does say that. We gotta stand for the truth. Whatever, whenever, however, we can't speak lies, we have to testify to what the word of God says. We must fulfill the mission. And when they had further threatened them, I'm sure death threats and the like, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of the healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I mean, this is clearly obvious there's a healing. And so when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, the church went and did something. When they heard the threats, when they were faced with an uncertain future, when they felt like the authority was out to get them, when they no longer felt safe, they did something. And in our final few minutes, I promise to give out some acts of faith each week. We're gonna leverage what they did as our acts of faith. Good church, In some ways, we're living in an uncertain future. We have been for a year. And for many of us, we're thinking, what should we do? How could we be acting? What should we be praying? This is what the church did. When they heard the threats, they ran and hid in their homes, nope. When they heard their threats, they silenced themselves and no longer preached the truth, nope. When they heard the threats, they grew angry and wanted to kill everybody, nope. When they heard the threats, they went out and got more ammunition. Nope. When they heard the threats, what did they do? Church, I bet you know. Scripture says this. Go ahead. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together with God. And they said, sovereign Lord, who's in control of all things, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, they wrote to scripture. He said this, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they're gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Isn't that interesting? They don't pray. They're all gathered together to do whatever they want to do to us. No, they said to do whatever you're allowing. Listen to their faith, listen to their theology. God is in control. You didn't miss this. Jesus isn't in heaven going, oh my word, I did not see 2020 coming. Oh my word, our church is still there. He's going through it. He saw this all along. What is happening in your world today, maybe many of these things are not of God, but are of evil. But God can even take evil and turn it for good. And in fact, he's in the business of doing it. But maybe some of the things we're encountering in our world and the change and uncertainty we're feeling are things we shouldn't be worried about, but trusting that God has an ultimate plan is gonna use this regardless of what happens. That's what this church is praying. We know you saw this coming. You built your church on Peter. We're all getting saved, and you knew persecution was coming. And so they continue, and they say this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I broke it down for you. I see five things the church did. One, they unified in prayer. They unify, unify us. The devil wants the church divided. The devil wants you fighting with other believers. If you're fighting with another Christian right now, I want you to picture the devil. I'm gonna do a a, a physical interpretation. Come on, church, fight with each other. Yeah. I'm not doing it. You got it. well, you're an idiot. Woo-hoo! Call them something else. Never talk again. Never look at them again. Loves it. Loves it in your family. Loves it in your kids. Loves it at your workplace. He loves division. Unify us. Remind us to trust God. Remind us to trust. Whatever your hand and your plan is predestined to take place, remind us that you're in control. You're not surprised. You saw my life coming. You saw 2020. Prepare us for opposition. Let's not be foolish. The rulers are gathered together against the Lord. You all know I'm a visionary. If you don't think I'm planning, you're fooling yourself. Your pastors are praying through all this stuff as well. Strengthen us to be bold. Grant your servants to continue to speak with boldness regardless of where we're at. Let's speak with boldness. Empower us for the mission while we stretch out your hand to heal. We want to see you work and do mighty things. We've had two salvations just in the past week. You're listening to these testimonies every week. Are you hearing some of them coming to revivals to come to know Christ or hearing about us online to come to know Christ? Isn't it cool? to see all the great things God's doing. Don't miss that God is working in mighty ways. We went from like 80 people watching our online messages to over 2,000 a week. I mean, how has God used this to get the gospel out? God is doing a mighty thing, and I truly believe revival is coming. But often revival comes when there is testing. When it's tough. So let me end with this. Some of you are going, I don't feel tough. I come to church and I say all the God things, but I'm terrified all week. My heart's racing. I turn on the news, I can barely take it. I'm terrified. I don't know when the virus is going to end. I don't know about this election. I don't know about all the anger, all the hatred. I turn on my social media. I do all this thing. And and I want to do the right thing, but inside I'm like terrified. Okay, I want to speak to you all for a minute. And I want to speak to also this guy or girl. I am so sick of this. I am so angry. I just want to ugh, Okay, I want to talk to both of you. We're being tested. Refiner's fire. God's gonna use this to grow you right now, Dad. He's gonna use this to grow your mom. He's gonna use this to grow your young person. There was a little eager. He was terrified to go up to bat. The coach said to him, you got this, man. And he said, I don't know if I do. You got this. I want you to go out there and you step in that box. Okay. Okay. You get in that box and you turn, you look at that pitcher and you grip that bat. You let him know you're here. Oh, All right. All right. And you swing that and you hit that ball. But I don't know if I'm going to hit the ball. You're going to hit the ball. Since you hit the ball in practice. You can hit the ball in the game. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to step up to the plate, son. But I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be right here in this gate. I'm going to be cheering you on. We're going to be in that back together. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, look at me, son. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I want you to fake it until you make it. What? Fake it. (laughs) Don't let him see it. It's going on inside, but outside, you fake it till you make it. That little boy got in there. He swung and missed sometimes, but he made some contact too. Now, fake it till you make it, don't preach. So let's turn that just a little bit and let's faith it till we make it, church. You might be really upset. Your feelings are all over the place, but feelings don't dictate truth. I can feel like a millionaire. Check my bank account, it's not truth. Feelings don't dictate truth. So I want you during this season to faith it till you make it. Pray for courage. Pray for courage. Don't fight your battles without God. God, I need you to help me fight this battle. I want you to stay in the moment. Don't borrow trouble from the future. I know it's gonna happen. It's gonna wreck today. It's gonna wreck today. Your kids will grow up while you're worrying about how to pay for their college. They'll grow up while you're worrying. Stay on today. Release control. Don't be consumed by self preservation. I've got to, I've got to protect I've got, I've got, I've got. You want to know what drives out fear? Love. Hiding doesn't drive out fear. Protecting yourself doesn't drive out fear. Love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. When you love people, you think about others. What if your firefighter said, I'm not going in there. It's terrifying. They go in there for someone else. And when you look at other people, instead of trying to be self-preserving, You'll open the doors to release control and say, God, you got this, I can trust you. Stand in the truth, don't succumb to the enemy's lies and face your fears. Don't let fear cripple this opportunity when people are dying to hear the truth of the gospel. Do you know Christ is your savior? If you know scripture and you're looking at the seasons and the times, I would encourage you to hurry up. Know him. Scripture says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Repent and turn from your sins and call on Jesus and he can give you the assurance and be with you in even the most scary moments like he was with Peter. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Scripture tells you to not hate your enemies but to love them and pray for them. Scripture tells you to submit to your authorities out of respect for him. And scripture tells you to trust him with whatever uncertainty the future holds.